Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and that sometimes messy thing we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit PhotographersEdit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we are back for yet another episode, brand new guest today. And uh, Aaron, we haven't had the opportunity to spend a ton of time together, but I kind of feel like you're a longtime friend. Thanks for making time for the Boca Podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to chat through some really cool stuff with you. Yeah, we're going to get into a topic that we haven't covered a lot on the show today, but it's certainly going to be a different angle on it. And we'll just leave that as is. We'll kind of tease everybody. Keep listening. But I'm here with Aaron Youngren. And Aaron and Jeff are photographers based. You all are still in San Diego, right? We are, yes. Beautiful, sunny San Diego. We love it here. <laughs> well, and I have a tendency of kind of just jumping right into conversation, but I at least want to give a, a little bit of an introduction, context to our conversation. We just briefly sum up, and, and actually this is a good segue in, into my first question, which has to do with brand position, but what is your photography company's brand position and what are you all doing there in San Diego? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I laugh every time I have to answer this question because sometimes it doesn't make any sense because Jeff and I actually own three different photography brands. Okay. So we, the two of us, were a husband and wife wedding photography team. And we've been shooting weddings ever since we got married in 2006. And we've traveled the world and we've shot really high end, really beautiful, really amazing weddings for couples that we just absolutely love. So our brand is The Youngerins. And then in 2012, we expanded. We went from the two of us working out of our guest bedroom with our cat to we launched an associate wedding photography brand called Clove and Kin. And okay. at the same time, we purchased a commercial photography studio called Bauman Photographers. So now we have this massive studio, a team of photographers, a staff, we have editors, a studio manager, and it's a wild ride, but we absolutely love it. Okay, but so, I, I want to push back for just a second because you and I have been in the industry yeah. for a long, long time, and you, your energy is wonderful, and you sound genuinely excited about about your businesses. Mm -hmm. But do you ever get to a point where you've you've burned out? Because two thousand six, so you're in thirteen years in, you've got all these different businesses. How do you how do you maintain that kind of energy, and do you ever have dips in that energy? Oh my gosh, tell me about it. So it's it's been a crazy journey with these different brands. So. It the commercial brand that we took over, when we got inside of it, it was needed a lot more work than we thought when we took it over. And we were all bright eyed and bushy tailed and just like, this is going to be amazing. And <laughs> we're going to take over this studio and it's yeah. all going to be perfect. Right. Things usually don't work out that way, which is what <laughs> we learned. And there was a lot of years in there where it was just hard, like trying to build this business up to where we wanted it to be. And there was a lot of lessons and a lot of growth that we had to go through in that process. We discovered that we would interact with our business and a lot of victim mindset sort of things. So Ooh. blaming the business yeah. for not doing what we wanted it to do. When in reality, it's like we weren't showing up how we needed to show up. Yeah. So 
you're absolutely right. Like there were years in there where we wanted to cut and run, where we wanted to just give it all up and say, this isn't worth it. But we couldn't because we had financial commitments with the business. And so we were tied to it. And so I'm really glad that we didn't give up in the moment. It was, I, I was not glad, you know, I was really angry. I was really bitter towards the business and I wanted to just say, I'm done, but we kept going and we've been able to turn it around. We've been able to make it what we want. And so today we're sitting in a place where we're so thankful for them, but it was not the case for, for a number of years. You mentioned something that resonated with me because it's something I've kind of faced myself personally, just even in the last few days or so. And that is the significance of taking responsibility for how your business is doing. And and I I heard or and or watched a, a clip from Gary Vaynerchuk not too long ago where he made that very point. I found it interesting. You know, here's somebody who is high energy at the top of his game, his company's doing really well. He could very well be in that position to be the stereotypical leader and bark and and be gruff and mean and tell these people that it's their fault and how dare you and fire them and and kind of blame everything else but himself. And yet he is taking responsibility for it all. He said at the end of the day, it's, it's our business. It's my business. It's my fault. I take responsibility. How do you go about shifting mindset to that approach? It is not a quick shift. It's It takes a lot of intentional personal work. And the first step in that process is being willing and open to take a look. And what I mean by that is being willing to look at yourself and look at all of the nasty shadowed parts of yourself that you do not want to look at. Mm. The parts that you just want to say, I just don't want to deal with that part of myself. And being willing to to get honest and say, how am I really showing up? So that also requires asking for feedback. So asking for feedback from your spouse, from your friends, from people you trust. And then the most difficult part of that process, if you have a staff or people in your business, is asking them for feedback. (laughs) If you work with your spouse or if you work with a virtual assistant, for us, it's our photographers and it's our studio manager and it's our editors and that sort of thing asking them for feedback, that's when it gets really tough because you got to face the honesty that they're willing to gift you with. And when you get that honesty back from people, know that it's a gift and don't get defensive and don't say, well, it's because X, Y, Z, or, you know, that's not taking responsibility, but being willing to look and being willing to listen. I think those are the first steps in taking responsibility for your actions and your business. Well, and that willingness to listen, to not take it or not to be defensive in response. Um, Again, this is very personal for me because it's something I've been working on. You have to set aside ego, right? Oh, 100%. And that can be the the most difficult thing to do because your ego is a strong beast. Like it (laughs) wants to take over. It wants to be in charge. You want to be right. You want to be in control. Um, your ego wants to be the thing that drives your car and you have to set that aside and be willing to say, I can't be right. I can't be always in control and I can't be always in charge. I need to step into humility Mm. and step into curiosity. What if the way that I'm showing up is not, or the way that I think I'm showing up is actually not the way I'm showing up. Mm-hmm. And when you're willing to start get start getting curious and asking those questions, that's when 
there are so much available to you. So many treasures, so many gifts, so much change is available to you. Yeah, it's it's true. And it actually reminds me of, I've actually mentioned this in the podcast at least once before, but it's such a great statement. Our mutual friend, Sean Austin, who's been on the, the podcast a number of times yeah. now, he he said that he asked his wife, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And being willing to ask that question, whether that's to a significant other or a team member in our company is, is something that's really great. But we have to set aside insecurity in that process. And that, of course, is tied to our ego. But insecurity, this idea that if somebody gives us critical feedback, ideally constructive critical feedback, that that is not a hit on our individuality or our, our personhood, if you will, or our value set. None of that has to change. It's you maintain that mindset of curiosity that you talked about. I think that's a great perspective and say, hmm, this is interesting feedback. Is this something that I need to adjust or change or do better in? I, I've even had the, the wonderful opportunity to to have these types of conversations with Haley, who heads up our digital marketing. She produces the podcast. And I've made it, I made it known to her pretty early on that, hey, look, there's room for open conversation in here. And uh, some of the conversations that we've had, she's been pretty direct with me. And, and I do have to just kind of almost take a deep breath and, and just listen in and say, oh, like, that's, wow. I, I, first of all, I don't need to take this personally. And then secondly, yeah, she's right. Or yeah, there might be room for improvement. I'm willing to have those conversations with all of our relationships, really, at least those that are closest to us. It's really important for personal growth. It's per- important for business growth. And I love this reminder that you bring up. And you know what? I, this is a good segue to another question I want to ask you here. And we're kind of breaking away from the outline, which is fine. But I want to, I'm curious if you'll just share a little bit about the dynamic between you and Jeff. Jeff and I have had conversations at various times. Um, I love having conversation with him and that he will, he gets this look in his, in his eyes like, oh, you want to go deep? And, and of course I want to. And so then we just go for <laughs> it. And the conversation goes deep very, very quickly. Um, and it's quite enjoyable. What What is that dynamic like, especially when it comes to that type of open, honest communication between the two of you in business? I love that about my husband, that he is just so willing to go there. And it's something that's very remarkable about him. And it comes out in our business in all sorts of different ways. That's really beautiful. It's such a gift. I think with, even for him, even for me, I think for everybody, there's always these shadowed qualities that are really hard to see unless you're willing to have other people help you see them. And we all struggle with our different things. So even Jeff struggles with his different ways of being that, you know, he, for both of us, we're unwilling to see certain things that we might do. I know for Jeff, he's a super, super positive person. And he would like, he'll tell our staff that they're doing this amazing job and amazing job. and, And he'll be super, super positive with them all the time. But he has a really hard time bringing up uh, the things that they maybe need to improve on. And so, uh, but but he'll get frustrated about them. Mm. And I'll say, well, have you communicated this with them? And he'll say, well, totally I have. And I'm like, I don't think you have, you know, you need to actually say these things and it's okay. Like they're going to love you still. It's not, they're not going to like turn around and be like, oh my gosh, he's this horrible person. So (laughs) That's something that he's had to work on. Um, what I've had to work on, I'm an incredibly introverted person. I'm very, very internal. Okay. And so I've had to work on externalizing my appreciation for my team. Mm. You know, I could go days like internally thinking, oh my God, these people are amazing, but I will never verbally say that. That's a very tangible thing that I had to learn because my staff would be like, I don't think you like us. And I'm like, I love you. What do you mean? What oh, are you wow. talking about? Okay. And I say, oh, like, I don't tell you that. That is such 
I'm so glad that you're honest with me because that is true. That's your experience. And I need to take responsibility for that experience and say, I am going to take steps to change that. Well, a lot of that too is I think having the right people around us, right? Whether it's your husband or in this case, your staff, the, the assumption and hopefully I learned assumption, if you will, that everybody's on the same team. We're playing for the same reasons or same purposes. We're we're striving for this similar goals. And I can trust that if somebody gives me feedback, again, it's not a personal attack. It's something that can potentially benefit all of us. And just keeping an open mind to that, open heart to that is a really great mindset to maintain. Um, I love how this conversation has started out. I actually want to jump back to that first question, though, because I know you've got multiple businesses. We'll keep it simple for Mm -hmm. everybody listening in. Let's talk about specifically your wedding photography business, because you're in a market that is really, really crowded. And one of the reasons that, in fact, the main reason that we talk about brand position here on the podcast is because aside from the fact that it's not discussed much in our industry, the, the reality is it's a very crowded industry. And so we have to figure out effective ways to stand out above the crowd. And so I'm curious, how do you distinguish or differentiate your photography business from those around you? Yes. And that's a great question. So there's a couple of things. One, Jeff and I are incredibly traditional, incredibly classic. We love shooting in churches and ballrooms. In Mm. fact, we describe our brand as black ties and ballrooms, which is actually very different from a lot of Southern California. Most people hate churches. They don't want to be in a ballroom. Like, don't do that to me. Whereas that's what we love. And so that alone sets us apart because if you see a church and a ballroom in a traditional classic way, that wedding is a younger and wedding and people know it immediately. To go along with that, Jeff and I are also incredibly unique in how we guide our couples through their wedding days and how we help them savor everything that's happening. So, I mean, as we all know, as photographers, we are with our couples more than anyone else on the wedding day, right? So... We use that as an opportunity and we step in and we actually help our couples slow down. We tell them to pause and we walk them through how to savor what's going on every what's going on around them. Mm. And so when they stop and they take everything in and we actually help them experience their senses. So I tell them to listen to what's going on, to smell their flowers, to feel the sun or the wind or the ocean or whatever might be happening around them. And the more that they do that, the more that they'll remember of their wedding and the more that they'll remember what's occurring in their photographs. Yeah. So their photos don't become a replacement for their memories, right? They become a reminder of their memories. So they see a photo and they are taken back instantly to the moment it was taken because they slowed down enough to actually remember that moment, which most couples don't get the opportunity to do that. It's almost like a like you're creating this this mini meditation for them and helping them being present in the moment. And I love, I mean, it makes me feel good thinking about it as you're describing it. I'm sure it's wonderful for your clients there, learning to be present, learning to actually savor what's going on in front of them, um, because it really can be a blur of a day. But I want to get back to the first thing that you mentioned, because while there are many photographers who in one form or another are focusing on that that more intimate relationship with their clients, the the initial message or initial impression that somebody gets uh, or makes when they look at your website, for example, is a again, that that is on us as photographers to create a distinct uh, realization of what this brand is about. When you said black ties and ballrooms, like I, I want to see that plastered all over the homepage of your, your wedding site because it really, the cool thing is I get to... And for everybody listening in, if you go to theyoungerins.com, 
takes you to their site and you can click on weddings and it takes you to the weddings page. And the first thing that you see, and, and I, I was doing this literally as you're talking, Aaron, and you're saying black ties and ballrooms and up pops this beautiful black and white, very classic, elegant looking image and this stunning structure. And, mm-hmm. and it very much is a reflection of what you're describing, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good reminder for all of us, an example for all of us, that if you're going to say something, back it up with the imagery and the design on your website. And I scroll down further and I'm seeing another very classic, again, black and white image and yet another one. I, I love that you are exuding this, this notion of black ties and ballroom, the classic look to your imagery there on your website. Yeah, because we have such a clear picture of who our ideal clients are, it informs everything that we do. So we didn't start with our website. Like we didn't start with the website and say, okay, what are we trying to communicate? We started with our ideal clients and we started with who it is we love and what it is we want to photograph and what it is we want to communicate. And then Mm. everything else, yes, everything else is still hard work, but it helps it fall into place so much easier than if you don't know who you're going after. So I know that our couple, we're shooting black tie ballroom weddings. Every image on our website should have a guy in a black tie, right? Especially those first couple images, those first impressions. And so I know that because I know who my ideal client is and I know my brand position. And um, we have that for each one of our brands. Clove and Kin, they, uh, we call them gray suits and gardens. And that's my very simple brand position for them. And I know immediately what that website should look like, what our Instagram feed should look like, yep. and what kinds of weddings we're going after. Yeah. And, and just side note for everybody listening in, Erin wasn't talking about her favorite food or that she likes to drink coffee in the morning. It's a very simple summation of a, a, a feeling, really a scenario, which represents a particular target market. And then everything is built around that. And I, I love this because it's a great segue to our later conversation about how we go about finding, getting, interacting with our ideal client. But it, it immediately creates a, when I hear gray suits and gardens, I think about a little bit more of a relaxed environment. Yes, and as a result, yes. the type of client is going to be different, certainly. And, mm-hmm. and yet you were able to communicate that with one, two, you know, three, four words. And, and we talk about this so much on the podcast, but this has been such a beautiful example of the significance of a brand position, what it does, how you go about coming to it. And I, and I love that you pointed out that um, the, the website didn't happen first. You did that after you had established your target client. And mm-hmm. we, we talk a lot about on the podcast, the significance of a big picture view, which is establishing a set of values and long-term goals for your personal life, which should translate to the business model, which should translate to the target client and the price point that you're charging and so on and so forth. So I love that you're starting with those kind of root level principles and that drives what your website's looking or the way that your website looks. And uh, this is, again, a, a great example for all of our listeners. So thank you for sharing that. And, and I think it's a yeah, beautiful, beautiful example. Let me jump to the next question, though, because we have a lot to cover. Talk to me about the piece of advice maybe that you would most quickly share with a fellow photographer. If you had 15 seconds in an elevator, what would that thing be that you've learned from your experience in 13 years that you would want to share with a photographer? Yeah, and this is coming from sitting in the place of having done this for 13 years and having gone through years in our business where we, that were not great, that were not fun and years that were great and were fun Mm. and experiencing kind of all of it. And so what I always want to communicate to anyone else that's running a business, whether you're in your first year or 15th year or 30th year, no matter what level of business you're at, we all experience the same creative battles. It does not matter if you're bringing in $5,000 in your business or $500,000 in your business. There will probably never come a time 
when you don't experience fear or self-doubt or disappointment or rejection. Okay, money and success and business do not change those things. So if you learn to be with those emotions now and you learn not to judge them, you learn not to shame yourself for feeling them, you learn that you are not bad, broken, or wrong because you are experiencing those things, then you will be giving yourself such a leg up because everyone you see around you online, every guest on this podcast, everyone experiences some form of those emotions and it is completely normal. So learn not to shame yourself Mm. because of it. Learn not to judge yourself or judge your business because of it. And that will allow you to see your business from a new perspective. That's interesting. It reminds me of um, a principle that, that Tony Robbins talks about a lot, which has to do with the story that we tell ourselves. And mm-hmm. it's interesting yes. how much significance yes. we can give to an experience where it, even if it's subconscious, we kind of create the significance around the experience, which is oh, I'm, I'm alone. I'm the only one experiencing this thing. Um, and, and part of that can be resolved just simply by making a concerted effort to engage with community, be involved in community um, and having those conversations, which will help minimize that feeling because you realize, oh, there are other people going through this. But I, I love I love the significance of this realization that you share. And, and it also reminds me of the importance of learning to kind of go with the flow, understanding that these things are going to come up and learning to take a deep breath, go with it, figure out that the creative solution to the problem, even look at it as an adventure and, and then move on to the next thing and, and be okay with that because it's going to happen. And, and that's really encouraging. And I appreciate you sharing that too. And, and I want to ask you about time because uh, this is, uh, in fact, you have, baby James came along. Let's yeah. see, how, how old is, is James now? He's a year and four months right now. Okay. So I had the opportunity to hold him for a little bit when he was much younger. Mm-hmm. Um, he's and, a little guy. Oh yeah. And he's, he's grown up since, but we talk a lot about time here on the podcast. In fact, it's one of our main focuses because at the end of the day, I think relationships are way more important than anything in this business game that we play. And so we want to make sure that, that that business doesn't take over our ability to be able to connect with the important people in our life. Obviously, Jeff and James in particular are important to you. So I'm curious, how do you go about making time and space amidst running three businesses just to take a breather yourself, but then also to make time for the important people in your life? Yes, I love this question. I feel like it's so, so important. So this comes from my my amazing coach, Julia Woods. And so I have to give her credit because she's just this incredible individual that has yeah. helped Jeff and I through so like in those years where we were having such a tough time, that was when we started our relationship with Julia. And mm. she just came at the perfect moment and helped us through so much. And she gave us this exercise when we first started coaching with her. And it has just changed how we view our business. So Basically, she helped us really learn how to build a business around our life instead of a life around our business. Love it. And when we run our own business, it is so easy for us to figure out how much time the business needs and then life kind of happens around that, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. But the business is hungry. The business will eat as much time as it possibly can because it is insatiable sometimes. Yes. And so you have to put boundaries on it. And so what she did was she's like, write down on a calendar, like a physical calendar, wherever that is, just write down everything you want to do within life. Like in a week, what is it you want to do? Do you want to go on vacations? Do you want to go to coffee? Do you want to go on date nights? Do you want to hang out with your son? Like put all of that on your calendar first. First, yeah. 
and then discover how much time is available for your business. Because we will always expand our business to fit into whatever time we give it, right? So figure out how much time is left for your business after you've decided what you want in your life. And then get creative with how you can get your business to function in the times that you want to give it. I love that. That you are willing to give it. And it changed everything for us. This was before we had James. And I am so thankful for it because now... We have figured out a schedule where I can be with James. I work two days a week. I can be with James the other days. Friday is one of the days that I work, which is today. And Jeff is with James. And he gets to have a day. Daddy, he calls it Daddy Fridays. They wear Aloha <laughs> shirts. And they get to go and have, have fun at SeaWorld because we're in San Diego. And it's perfect. So <laughs> we have figured out how to make that a priority and how to make my work fit into the days that I desire for it to fit into. Is it hard? Yes. Is there tension? Yes. Is there frustration? Yes. But there's also so much joy in those boundaries. Well, and naturally, and we've talked about this a number of times on the podcast, but this is a beautiful example of it. When you create parameters, it's interesting how it forces you to work more efficiently in order to accommodate those parameters. 100%. I mean, when I had when I had to learn how to work during naps, I mean, talk about boundaries. Like I have no control over when my son is going to wake up. Yep. Does he usually nap for an hour and a half? Most of the time. But then there's always those times when he he decides to sleep for 30 minutes and yeah. I have to be okay with it. So that is an exercise of just not being in control. And so <laughs> I've learned how to, and I'm still learning. I am not perfect at this because my job changes and I have my own podcast. And so figuring out how to do everything that I need to do within these parameters is hard. It is not simple, but it has been so worth it. And I love that it forces me to get creative with my business. Yeah, it, you, you mentioned naps. It's funny. I, I remember my son is 17 now, but back in the day when he was still taking naps and when he was transitioning from two naps a day to one nap a day, and I was I stretched out those two naps a day as much as I could or as, as long as I could because <laughs> you just you crave that that whatever it is, like you said, an hour, hour and a half, whatever it might be. But if you could get that two two times a day, it was this luxury. I like literally that is where I'm at right now. He has been in this weird place where it's like, should he go down to one nap? And I am so resistant. I'm just like, no, you will take two naps. I don't care if you're not tired. This is happening. And it's hilarious because um, I do not want to go down to that one nap. I have been same thing, stretching out as long as I possibly can. Oh, yeah, I feel you. By the way, you mentioned the podcast and, and I, it, you know, I haven't talked about this. I had the opportunity to listen to the podcast not long ago. I love that that you went a different direction with the format and the, the style oh, of storytelling. Will you share just briefly the details of, of the podcast so that our listeners can find it? Yeah, I'd love to. Oh my gosh. So I have been wanting to do a podcast for many years because I became a fan of This American Life yeah. way back in the day, 2008, 2009. I'm editing our weddings and I love the storytelling format of the This American Life NPR style yep. of audio storytelling. And yeah. so I wanted to incorporate that into my podcast. And so my episodes are more based around a theme. And then I bring in people to comment on that theme and to talk about that theme. Yeah. So I'm about to launch season two. By the time this episode is out, season two of Creative Rising will most likely be out. And the first episode of season two is called Parentpreneur. So exactly what we were just talking about, what it's like to run a business and have kids at the same time. And I brought in a bunch of my friends that are parentpreneurs and we talked about it and everything comes up from 
boundaries with naps to postpartum depression to mm. what it looks like is balance even achievable and that whole thing. So just we tackled the topic in one episode and I love it. That's cool. Well, I, I'm going to encourage our listeners to go over there and check it out. Creative Rising. And we'll link to it in the show notes. By the way, for those of you listening in, Boca, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com, the show notes. Of course, if you're using an app that has the show notes in it, you can scroll and, and click on that link and open up the podcast. But make sure you take a listen. And we'll also link to the Youngren site, theyoungrens.com, Y-O-U-N-G-R-E-N-S.com. And it's the Youngrens on Instagram as well. We'll put all of that in the show notes. Talk to me a little bit about a an impactful business or a self-help book that's just really made a big impact in your life, Erin? I think the one that really has just been huge for me is Start With Why by Simon Sinek. It's one of those books that has become a classic yeah. because the concept is just so instrumental for wedding photographers in particular, really creatives in general. But for wedding photographers, it's when you get to your why, it is, it changes everything. And it is so, I look around at all these other brands and it is so obvious which brands have gotten to that why and which brands have not, because it is, it makes such a huge difference. And so start with why by Simon Sinek, check it out if you have not read it, because especially when it comes to branding and to your ideal clients and that whole conversation, it is so key in that whole concept. Yeah. It's, it- it seems to simplify things. I mean, it's not going to take away the potential stressors that come along as you were alluding to earlier, but when you're very clear about what it is that you're trying to accomplish with your life, um, that will easily or relatively easily at least gives direction to what you do with your business. And then once you have that clear direction with your business, it determines how you spend your time day to day. And certainly again, the ideal client that you're reaching for, it simplifies things. And otherwise you alluded to this a second ago, Aaron, but somebody that doesn't clearly establish their why, they, they tend to, it seems, kind of flounder a bit. They reach for this thing and that thing and, and try any and everything. And there's a lack of focus, which in many cases translates to a lack of results in their business, right? Oh, 100%. So it, you know, with his whole example that he uses, you know, he has these concentric circles and the outer circle is we know what we do, right? We photograph weddings, we shoot photos and we deliver them to our clients. That's what we do. Most of us know how we do it. So that's the experience like the experience we wrap up that whole, um, the whole service in, the personality, the um, things we do for our clients, how we talk to them, how we interact with them. The why is what he says is that most companies know what they do. A, a lot of companies know how they do it, but very few companies know why they do what they do. Mm. And when you know that inner why, then the how and the what become so much more powerful. And so that inner why really is your ideal clients. And it really is what matters to you and what matters to them and the, the similarities between those two. So when you connect with those values with your ideal clients, that's when you're hitting in that why conversation. So for example, savoring, I mentioned, that's what we do with our couples. That is our why. So the outward, what we do and how we do it, black ties and ballrooms. But why we do it is we want our couples to savor. We want them to remember their moments, not just see them in a photograph. Mm. We want them to be grounded. We want mindfulness and we want presence. That is our why that matters to us. And it also matters to our couples. And we know that. And so our whole brand experience, everything we do 
surrounds that inner why. That's so good. And you summed it up wonderfully. And we're going to link to that book in the show notes too. And for those of you who are curious, it's available, I think, both in, in paperback and Kindle and I think audio as well. So make sure you check it out. And if you want a kind of a summary version, if you haven't seen it yet, there's also a TED Talk. We'll put that in the show notes as well. If you just go to bookapodcast.com. Aaron, talk to me about uh, photography for a second here uh, and, and maybe the slightly technical or maybe not so technical aspect of your camera bag. Uh, mm-hmm. This has been kind of a fun question, actually, that we've been asking guests. But what is the most unusual thing that you have in your camera bag that helps you be a better photographer? And this does not have to be a camera or camera body or a lens or a flash. <laughs> Can I say trail mix? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Okay, But you have to let us know what kind, the brand, the content. I know. It's just like your basic Costco trail mix. Trader Joe's also has great trail mix. But seriously, okay, trail mix does, it's like it's manna from heaven on a wedding day. Now, is this like the, the trail mix with like peanuts and M&Ms? Mm-hmm. Is it tra- okay, okay. Oh, yeah. And I mean, the Costco trail mix is like, you know, peanuts, M&Ms, like your basic stuff. Yeah. Trader Joe's has a whole ton of different types that are just all fun and delicious. Um, so yeah, there's trail mix. But in all honesty, something we've been using recently that has been huge has been um, Kiss Styling Mats. So Kiss is our wedding album company that we use. Absolutely love them. And they came out with styling mats that you use to photograph all your details on. So invitations, rings, shoes, all that kind of stuff, you know, during the getting ready process. And there's other people that sell styling mats. It's, It's a thing that's out there. But what I love about the Kiss styling mats is that these ones roll up. Most styling mats are flat because the mat needs to be flat when you're shooting, right? Most of them are flat. And the idea of carrying that around to me was always a roadblock. I'm like, I'm not going to carry around these giant boards, but the kiss styling mats, they roll up and they go into a carrier. And so it's so much easier. It like looks like a small tripod. And so it's much easier to carry around and take to a wedding day and it's much more approachable. And then they have these rods you put in them to make the mats lie completely flat. So when they unroll, they do lie completely flat when you actually need to shoot. So they're linen styling mats and they are the same linen as what they use on the covers of their books. And so there's, they're beautiful. They're amazing. I have different colors and I can pick whatever color matches the wedding. And so I just find some great light. I roll out my styling mat and I can do my details in the yuckiest looking getting ready room. And it's, (laughs) I love it. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm, this goes to show how old school a photographer I am. I started wedding photography back in 2001 and when Kiss, and, and by the way, we mentioned Sean Austin earlier, he's the CEO at Kiss. When, when Kiss started offering these styling mats, I had absolutely no clue what these things were. I didn't even know it was a thing in the industry. I, I guess I had my head down or in a different place uh, and just didn't realize that this was a thing. And I was like, what, what is the purpose of these mats? And, and I realized that the functionality or the function was quite simple. The purpose was quite simple. But as you pointed out, what they've done now is not only offer these very beautiful mats and, and the linen, uh, but then af- offer carrying cases to go along with them. And it just makes it convenient to take them with you. Because, yeah, we end up in some crazy places as wedding photographers that n- are not always ideal for the great detail photography that we want to offer. And so having those mats to lay the details on is a really convenient thing. 
Yeah, it always seems like the one spot that's available for you to shoot is the crappiest corner in the entire place. And because the hair and makeup artists are taking up all the nice light and, you know, everyone's like, yeah, stuff is everywhere. (laughs) And so I just need to find either a nice window or a nice spot of light. And I just need to position my mat and it's perfect. So it's made details so much easier. And so I love them. That's cool. Well, shout out to Sean and Kiss and we'll make sure to link to, they have a page, a dedicated page on their website for those mats and we'll put that in the show notes as well for everybody. Let's jump into kind of the meat of our conversation for today though. Uh, We've talked maybe two or three times before on the podcast and the 300 plus episodes we've done about an ideal client, finding an ideal client, getting your ideal client, how to engage with your ideal client. But um, when you and I started communicating before doing this interview, you had a different take on it, which I I found um, actually quite interesting and we might even just label this the, the three mistakes that you're making with ideal clients or trying to find your ideal clients. But before we get into the details here, this has become a popular topic. I mean, in the last year or two in particular, why do you think that is? I think that it's it's kind of what you said a little bit earlier. The creative industry has exploded in the last several years. Mm. So There are more creative businesses than ever, which is amazing. There are people that are starting businesses every single day more than there ever were before. And that's been true for photographers for a very long time. Like the photography world exploded, you know, a while back. But with so many creatives coming around too, it means that the marketplace is even that much more crowded. And so it's more important than ever to distinguish yourself. And I know that that's a phrase that everybody has said all the time. Well, it's true because it's you need to do it no matter what all the time. But I think why this ideal client thing is coming up so much now is because there are a lot of educators out there that, and I want to be careful saying this because there's amazing people out there that are teaching and I love it, but there's a lot of educators out there that will teach you how to be exactly like them. Hmm. And they will teach you how they edit, how they pose, how they shoot, how they do everything, which is great. And it's super valuable and it's amazing. However, what that does is it creates a lot of people doing the same thing. And so it's created a need for people to distinguish themselves and be different. So I am really passionate about, I will teach you everything that I know. I will teach you how I pose, how I edit, how I shoot, how I do everything I do in my business. But- I will teach it so that you can take all that information and be the best you that you can possibly be so that you can find your voice, you can find your style, you can find your ideal client and create a brand that is true to you. And so that's, I think that's part of what's occurring is that people are having a harder time finding who they are and differentiating themselves. And so it's become a greater need. Yeah, where we're kind of, I mean, we allow ourselves to be bombarded by the the imagery, both literally and figuratively, of these photographers and their brands um, on a daily basis through Instagram or Facebook or some combination of the above, blogs, etc. And so you you think as a photographer, that, that looks really great, or I hear about this person's success, or they have X number of followers, and, and I want all of those things. So if I just do that thing, maybe I can have that. And so like you said, there is some benefit to these photographers sharing what they do, because it can be a bit of a jump start for photographers if they want to at least move in that direction. But at the end of the day, there is the, the risk of just looking like the other person and 
as you're pointing out, as we were discussing earlier, in a crowded market, that's a real danger if you want to not only stand out, have an easier time marketing your brand, building your brand, and ultimately having a successful business. So it's interesting that we are at least considering this at this point. But at the same time, Aaron, I mean, I've looked at so many websites over the years, and particularly in the last two or three years, and not a lot of photographers are, you know, they may be talking about an idea, this idea of an ideal client, and it sounds nice, but it doesn't seem like very many are doing something about it, actually refining their brand so it stands out as distinct, truly. And um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about how to go about finding that ideal client here in a second. But when it comes to this notion of an ideal client, I mean, many photographers have some image in their mind about what their client, their ideal client looks like. And it's an easy thing to start in a place of common interest. Well, I like these things, so I want to find clients that like similar things. Maybe they're looking at the other way around. But regardless, it has to do with common interest. Do you think this is a good place to start? Is it just a starting place? What are your thoughts? I do. I actually think that's a great starting place. So I have been teaching about the ideal client since since 2012, so for years. And in my course and in my teaching, that's where I have photographers start, is I have them start on the surface. Now, most of the conversations that are out there that I hear when it comes to the ideal client it has to do with the surface characteristics, like you said, because it's a really easy, tangible thing to latch onto. And so that's why I have people start there. But most conversations stop at the surface and they don't go any deeper. So while we're going to start at the surface of the conversation and figure out what kinds of things our ideal clients like, what kinds of things we like, find commonalities, find interests, common interests, and that sort of thing. What we really want to understand is why. Why do they do the things they do? So Mm. most advice will tell you, figure out what shoes your ideal clients wear, what cars they drive, what grocery stores they shop at, and then figure out an amazing brand that's going to attract them based on those things. Well, that's just one step in the process. What we need to do next is figure out why they wear those shoes, why they drive those cars, why they shop at those grocery stores, what matters to them. Because once you understand not only what they like and who they are on the outside, but you understand what they believe to be true about the world, that's when you can connect with them on a level that's really powerful. And that's when you get to that inner why. When you can understand what they believe to be true about the world, what you believe to be true about the world, and how those connect with the people that you love the most. So those surface characteristics are actually, I call them weirds. And this is something that comes from Seth Godin. (laughs) Okay. He wrote this book several years ago, long time ago, that's called We're All Weird. And it's a book that nobody knows about. I don't even know how I found it. I don't think he publishes it anymore. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a fan of his. I don't think I've heard of it. Yeah, it's so obscure, but I love it. And it's perfect for the ideal client conversation because he talks about weirds as the things that we choose to do with our time and the things we choose to do with our money. So when you have a free afternoon, what do you choose to do? Do you choose to watch a movie? Do you choose to make a meal? Do you choose to go hang out with friends? Well, the more specific you get with those things, then, quote, the weirder it is. And the more that we can infer about you as a person. Yeah. So what kind of movie do you decide to watch? Is it a documentary? Is it a comedy? Is it a science fiction? Do you you know, make Thai food? Do you make your great-grandmother's meatball recipe? Like the more specific it is and more unique it is, then 
the more we can understand about you because why do you choose to spend your time and your money on those things? Those are the two of the most valuable resources that you have. So for example, Jeff and I, our weirds are that we have two scooters. So when we first quit our day jobs way back in the day, <laughs> yeah. we, we, the first thing we did when we quit our jobs was we took our laptops and we moved to Singapore for two months okay. and we booked weddings while traveling Southeast Asia. And then we spent the year traveling and shooting weddings. And so we fell in love with scooters while we were there and we came home and we bought a couple scooters and we've had them ever since. And this is something that our couples know about us because we put it out there. And like, I have to at least ask what kind of scooters? Oh my gosh, they are cheap scooters. So they're Vespa yeah. knockoffs basically Okay. because we are not cool enough to have Vespas. We would love to have them. And they're just these like cheap little scooters that look all cute, cute in Italian. Yeah. And we've learned how to fix them up and take care of them and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, that's fun. So, Oh my gosh, they're adorable. Jeff has a silver one. I have a white one and we go on our little scooter dates together. <laughs> That's so great. I, th- there's something about the open road and and even if it is a, a low powered scooter, just being out on the road and riding along and the scooters really are so simple to to be able to ride. I think that's really fun to do. I know it's nothing like your motorcycles that you ride, but ours are 150 cc. So they are highway legal. Oh, I will yeah. never go on a highway with them, but they're a little <laughs> more powerful than your basic scooters. So we actually do have motorcycle licenses, yeah. which I think is a little bit ridiculous because I don't think I could drive your motorcycles. I would hurt myself. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I realize this. I mean, I, and I do like, in fact, I'm getting ready uh, likely to trade my bike, my sport bike for yet an even more powerful bike to take to the track. That is fun. It's exhilarating. But there is something wonderful wonderful about just going on a two-lane country road and just soaking the air in. Um, my, my girlfriend and I just had the opportunity to go to Colorado. She took me out there for my birthday, and we rented a bike and rode through the Rocky Mountain National Park. It was beautiful. It was incredible. But, oh, my gosh. I'm so jealous. Oh, it was amazing. But it wasn't about speed. It was it was just about being in the environment and getting to ride yes. with, with the air. It's it's lovely. And then I've, I've got a less powerful motorcycle that she and I can ride on here locally. And, and the other night, just the other night, we went out on a double date with some friends. We took the bike out to, to eat. It's so much fun to do that. So that's cool mm-hmm. that you guys do that. And would you say that being on a scooter or being on a motorcycle helps you savor and be present in the moment? 100%. So, 100%. so our outward surface weird is our scooters. Yeah. Our underlying value, our why, is savoring. Mm. So that's how it connects. A scooter is so random, has nothing to do with a black tie wedding, right? But And our couples don't have scooters. They like, we're not looking for our ideal clients. Our ideal clients ride scooters everywhere. No, nobody in San Diego has scooters. So we'd be doing our business a huge disservice if that was our qualification. But we have scooters. They are very specific to us and we love them because they help us be present and savor. And that's how we communicate about them. So that means that we can connect on a value system in our brand. And that's it needs to look like in your brand as well. So don't just stop at lattes and yoga pants and dogs and hiking and camping and all of that. That's all really important to know, but then start digging deeper and find why you do the things that you do and why your couples do the things that they do and figure out what kinds of things you both believe to be true about the world. This is such a great conversation. I'm literally getting goosebumps, um, largely because we're we we I think uh, have very similar 
perspectives on the significance of a belief system. You know, a lot of times you hear belief system and there's this religious association with it. But the reality is that we literally everything that we do on a day to day basis is rooted in a belief or series of beliefs. I sit on this chair because I believe it's going to hold me up. And and fortunately, it was it was an accurate belief. You know, I'm having this conversation because there are certain beliefs associated with that. I think it's going to bring value to our photography industry, just as one small example. Uh, But I, I have the the character characters actually for belief kakushin on my uh, on my arm in japanese in japanese mm. kanji and i love uh, that yeah well and and there's and i actually i pulled up an evernote i use evernote uh, like a like a crazy person over twelve thousand documents but i've got this note about choice and belief because the the kanji on my arms are choice and then belief and that second paragraph here almost mirrored exactly what you're saying. Understanding the belief system of others will enable me to understand them on a deeper level. And it's really interesting how quickly you can get to know somebody on a deeper level if you're willing to explore that so-called belief system. But I, I have a question here because, you know, there there is... First of all, there's a lot of conversation in our photography industry around how many, I mean, it seems like endless, in fact, large percentages of the industry seem to be so-called introverts. You even said it yourself. Um, how does a photographer engage in deep enough conversation with, in some cases, limited amounts of time with a client or a potential client to be able to kind of peel back the layers and get to that belief system to get to know their clients on a deeper level? Yes, that's a fabulous question. And it's one that I get all the time. Okay, Aaron, how do you understand these things without interrogating your clients? Yeah. And it's a great question because there's diff- there, there's a lot of different like tips and tricks and methods that we use that have gotten us to where we are with our brand. So for many, many years, we gave free engagement sessions to all of our couples. And I know a lot of other photographers either do this now or have done it in the past for sure. So it's not an uncommon thing. But those engagement sessions, we use them with intention. So not only was it a way to build a relationship with our couples so that they felt comfortable on the wedding day and you know we could be comfortable with each other, but we used it as an opportunity to get to know them. And then we took them out to dinner afterwards and we had really intentional conversations. Mm-hmm. So when you ask them questions, things like, where are you going on your honeymoon? How did you meet? Where do you guys go on dates? Those are all fabulous questions to ask because you will understand a lot about them and their surface weirds. But then the follow-up questions are what can help you start getting down to the whys. Why are you choosing that for your honeymoon? Is it the adventure? Is it because it's romantic? Do you want to rest? Why do you go on those date nights? What is it that you love about them? And couples love these kind of questions. They love talking about themselves. So it seems it can be a little nerve wracking to ask those questions because you feel like, am I being intrusive? No, I promise you, you're not being intrusive. They they love that you're interested about them and that, that you're curious about them. And so pay attention to their answers during those times. And these are questions that you can also ask when you are first talking with them in person in a client meeting. We do a ton of phone calls. And so I will ask all these questions over the phone. And it's great doing it over the phone because then you can keep notes on you know what they're saying and how they're responding. When you are at the wedding, pay attention to the toast. Pay attention to what they what they say about this person and this couple. Pay attention to you know all of these different opportunities to get to know them. If you have past couples that you want to study, then identify your favorite past couples and take them out to drinks and ask them these questions. 
and you, like tell them, Hey, you're one of my favorite clients I've ever had. Would you mind going to drinks with me? I just want to get to know you better so I can figure out how to get more people that are like you. People love to hear that. And we have done that with our clients and they so appreciate it. And they're always open to it. So don't be afraid to reach out that way, but have a set of questions in your back pocket that you can ask that help you feel comfortable in that moment so that you can ask them. And it doesn't feel like this awkward one-sided interrogation. I promise it doesn't. <laughs> it's, it can be very natural. Oh, it really can. And, and again, it's easy to kind of project their insecurities onto somebody else or, or our assumption of what they are comfortable with. Uh, but the reality is most people are not used to being engaged on a deeper level. And it feels really, really good to actually have somebody show enough interest that they would go beyond the surface level questions of how was your day? What do you do for work? Um, and these very, very basic questions that we all tend to just kind of fall into. I mean, this happens at our photography conferences too. You get like the same three or four questions with everybody that you meet. And it just gets a little bit annoying after after a while because I personally, and, and this is again, one of the things that I've loved about my conversations with Jeff is I, I love to go deeper. Let's go beyond that basic stuff. I, I want to know more. I want to know about what's going on in your mind, what things you're struggling with and what things you know, you're excited about, whatever it is. I want to go deeper than the surface level questions and it's very rare that somebody actually takes the time to do that. So understand that up front and make that extra effort to ask those deeper questions, get to know them on a little bit deeper level. And you'll likely, those of you listening, and you'll likely be surprised at the, the results um, because they can be a really beautiful thing and set the tone for a beautiful connection with your clients. But you actually said something to me, Aaron, leading up to our conversation is, is that there are actually three mistakes that photographers are potentially mm -hmm. making with when it or when it comes to finding their ideal client or connecting with their ideal client, uh, this is quite intriguing. So I'd love for you to share those with our listeners and maybe what we can do to correct those mistakes. Yeah. So the first mistake is what we actually just talked about. So it's staying at the surface of the conversation and not digging down into values. So that is the first place that most people stop. And if that's what you've done, don't worry. You, you have done the first step in the process. So be proud of yourself. Just keep going in the process and keep moving forward and start digging down to why. So that's the first mistake, staying at the surface mm. and not understanding values. The second mistake that I see most photographers make is that they, they take all of these service characteristics and they've studied their clients and they've said, okay, my clients like XYZ. I tend to like XYZ. We believe the same values. We seem like really similar people. So I think that my ideal client is actually a version of myself. Uh. Or my ideal client is a version of me when I was getting married and looking for a photographer. And that is a mistake because then you start to filter all of your decisions through your own head. <laughs> yep. And that can be really limiting especially when it comes to pricing. So if you struggle with raising your prices, check to see if you're asking yourself the question, would I pay those prices? That will limit you significantly in what you're capable of doing in your business because what you would do, the decisions you would make, how you buy is different than how your ideal clients may buy. I like Jeff and I cannot afford the prices that we charge for our photography. <laughs> it's there's no way, but yeah. do we charge it? Yes. And will, are we like happy and confident to charge that? Yes. Because we know that our ideal clients will pay for it and they make purchase decisions much differently than we do. So we have to get outside of our own heads and into the heads of our ideal clients. So be careful if you have fallen into that trap. 
are you considering your ideal clients yourself versus basing your ideal client on outward people? And to go along with this mistake is it's also tempting to say, okay, we call our ideal clients dreamies. That's a word that I use, dream clients, dreamies, ideal clients. And so that can make it sound like I'm just making up this ideal client profile out of thin air. Like who would would be my dream clients? Well, my favorite brides are the ones that are getting married on top of Mount Everest. Well, I'm sorry, you can't build a business on that, right? Because that's not going to happen. So you have to ground your ideal clients in reality. So you need to study the current clients that you've already had. You need to look at them and say, who is it that I've loved working with? What are their service characteristics? They're weirds. What are their values? Who are the clients that I don't love working with? What is it about them that I don't love working with? What are their weirds and their values that I don't connect with? And then based on that, then you can start building an ideal client profile that is grounded in reality. Interesting. Okay. So the, the three mistakes, and I was just taking notes as you were talking, staying at the surface, as you'd mentioned. And, and obviously the, the proactive thing that we can do there is just begin to have conversation that goes beyond the surface level. I, I need to pull up this, this book that I think I still have on my Kindle here, which has been a great, and one of the things, honestly, I've, I've struggled with as long as, as much as I enjoy deeper conversation, the, the, the ability to be able to create, at least create a little bit of small talk before you dig in really deep has been something that I've struggled with for years. And so I wanted to figure out how can I go to, how can I ask questions that, that creates conversation? And um, so, so something that I've done is actually gone to this book called The Complete Book of Questions by Gary Poole. And it's, Ooh, I love it. Yeah, and it's 1001 Conversation Starters. And then there's another one that's called If, and it's just dot, 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 volume one, and it's questions for game, the game of life. So for those of you who are curious, you want like some conversation starters, just a few ideas that you can take with you to the next conversation to get conversation going that maybe sets the tone for going deeper if you don't feel comfortable doing that immediately. We'll link to those books in the show notes and you can check those out. But staying at the surface, the first mistake, being proactive in creating deeper conversation, kind of the, the solution, immediate solution to that. Number two mistake, assumption that our ideal client is exactly like us. We have mm-hmm. to stop projecting. I, I'm so guilty of this on multiple levels. And that's a really great reminder. The third mistake being to create uh, an unrealistic image of our ideal client. And again, there's a lot of assumption innate to that mistake. This is really a, about honest conversation with our clients or potential clients to get to know them at a deeper level and, and actually serve them where they're at, isn't it? Yes, definitely. It's it. This is one reason why I think that this conversation is so big and it's so common and people have it all the time. But then very rarely do you see people actually take action on it because it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's not intuitive. It's not tangible. It's a very intangible process and it takes a lot of work. So I tell my students, like sometimes when I walk you through this framework, because I have a a three-part framework that I broke everything down and I made it a very step-by-step process for people to kind of take this big giant thing and make it approachable. And I tell them, some of you will go through this framework and you'll know right away. It'll be very intuitive who your ideal clients are. Like you just have this gut feeling and you already know. And this framework will just help you get it out in the world on paper and, and formalized. For others of you, this is the first time you're thinking about it. And it's not going to be intuitive. And that's okay. Be proud of yourself for starting this process. For Jeff and I, it took us years to understand who our ideal clients were. Now, I didn't have a framework to help me with it. I had to build that for myself. But 
it took us a very long time to understand what weirds were, what values are, how to connect with people on a why level and how to build a brand around that. So I think that's why we don't see very many brands go there because it's it's not easy and it's not simple. And I also think it's why it's hard for a lot of educators to wrap their mind around too, because it's so important, but it, it's kind of hard to break down into manageable steps. I mean, I worked on this for years to make sure that this is something that that people could work through. And so when I launched my current course on this three years ago, you know, I walked through a lot of students with it and refined it and refined it and refined the process to make sure people were coming out with successful profiles and successful brands. Well, and and this is a great segue really to me asking you to share where our listeners can learn a little bit more about some of this education that you offer, because we've covered this on a relatively basic level and a limited amount of time today. I would love for our listeners to be able to to learn a little bit more about that education that you offer. Can you share a little bit about that on, on your site? Yeah. So the best place that if you want to learn more about this ideal client topic, then we have a free class that you can walk through. So it's called dreamyclass.com okay. and, and dreamy is spelled with an I E. So D R E A M I E class.com. And that's a free training and it walks you through the three-step framework on how to take all your past clients, write them down, study them, figure out their weirds, take their weirds, go to values, and how to walk away with some tangible information about your ideal clients. So that free class will do that for you. And then there you'll you'll learn more about our course. So if you want to dive in deeper, we do have our paid program that you guys can opt into. And my students come out the other side with these gorgeous websites with focus brands, and they start shooting weddings that they never thought were possible that they get to shoot. In that, their clients are so life-giving and so fulfilling that they just couldn't believe it was even possible. Yeah, I went to that website and at the very top of the page, it says invisible to irresistible, how to fill your calendar mm-hmm. with amazing dream clients. So we'll make sure to to link to that in the show notes as well. And as I mentioned earlier, theyoungrins.com, just like it sounds, and same thing on Instagram, we'll put all of that in the show notes. But Aaron, this has been a really fun conversation. And I love that we've just kind of jumped all over the place and ultimately shared a lot of helpful, practical information. Thanks so much for making time for the Boca podcast. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. And I love that you're willing to have these conversations and just kind of take it where it wants to go. And I love that because I'm always willing to follow where, wherever, whatever's wanted and needed to come out and to share with everybody. Well, and and I think you and Jeff are a good example, again, of of two people who are willing to go a little bit deeper in conversation. Um, It's certainly an encouragement and and a lot of fun for that matter for me. But I think this is a great example for all, all of our listeners Uh, For those of you listening in, check out the show notes, check out the resources and the talking points from today's conversation. Uh, Make a move on going and finding that ideal client. Thanks again, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.